It's great to say that everyone deserves a second chance. We believe that when we make a mistake, that we can learn from that mistake and come out on the other side as a better person. Our justice system even relies on the idea that a person who commits a crime is capable of rehabilitation. But something that we aren't talking about are the challenges that those individuals face after they have served their time and have started to turn their life around. You can't even get a place to live. It's hard to get food. It's hard to get a job. It's hard to have references. So we are really just structurally perpetuating this cycle of a, really an inescapable circular path, right? Right back to the jail cell or the prison. I'm Philip Allstott. I'm Rob Reyes. And today on Beyond J, we have a story of rehabilitation and the power of education to change the trajectory of a person's life. But even more than that, to change entire communities at the same time. So I'd like to introduce you to... My name's Tammy, and I am a student here at Sacramento State. Tammy, uh, tell us a little bit about the before time. Well, I lived a pretty rough life. My parents were really young, having me 16 and 17. They were both drug addicts, and my father actually hung me in a closet when I was two and then hung himself in jail that night and killed himself. So that was just the beginning of some of the trauma in my life. So after losing her father, Tammy and her mother bounced around a lot. I'm talking like three to five schools each year. I was under the level of where I should have been. Um, I couldn't read or write. I needed an IEP. and. Okay, so wait, what is an IEP? So an IEP is an individualized education plan, and it's actually a legal document in the U.S. that is developed for public school kids who need special education. I don't even know how I passed sixth grade. Tammy's education ultimately ends here. She drops out two weeks into seventh grade. So I couldn't read or write. I couldn't even sign my own name. From there, my life just kind of spiraled, and I went into the foster care system at 12. So I guess her mom is no longer in the picture. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tammy goes from foster family to foster family, and ultimately, the predictable happens. I went on to use drugs and commit crime, and um, I had my first baby at 16, my second at 17. At 28 years old, I went to state prison, and that changed my life. I know a lot of people will tell you how bad prison is, but for me, that's not my story. <laughs> I got there. It was the first time I got real recovery. I asked for a Bible. Uh, so the prison gave her an early reader's version of the Bible. And I sounded out words every day until I could put several together. And then one day, I understood what they meant. <laughs> and I don't know how that happened. Uh, so Tammy starts to take courses toward earning her GED while in prison. I prayed through every one of those tests, and I tell you, some of them I passed by the skin of my teeth. And so I paroled in just under two years. And a condition of Tammy's parole was heading to a six-month drug treatment program at a place called Promise House. A wonderful place downtown where I was mandated to six months of um, drug treatment. So as part of the treatment plan, she was required to find a job. I had never worked a real job. I sold drugs and I committed crime, but I never worked. So she convinced Promise House to leave one month early so she could go back to school. 
because I, I told them, I'll walk the streets and pretend to put in applications and I'll do whatever it is I'm going to do, but I don't want a job. I want to go to school. And when I left there, I went straight to American River College. It was kind of my home. It's where I really, truly learned to read and write because, you know, I learned that little stuff on my own. But I stayed there until I graduated with four associate's degrees, highest honors. <laughs> my degrees were in chemical dependency studies, human services, associate in arts, and social science. And I was like, well, everybody's a drug and alcohol counselor when you're a drug addict or have felonies, right? So I was like, this isn't for me. I don't want this. I want more than this. I don't want to simply be a drug and alcohol counselor. I don't want to deal with addicts anymore. I want something more. So I applied to Sacramento State. Uh, Tammy was encouraged to go into psychology. She could do the social work, but it would also open more doors. Mm, all right, I'm going to do it. But at the time, the program was impacted, which really just means they were over-enrolled with not enough classes to go around. But I applied anyway, and I didn't really think I'd get in. I just kind of did it to go through the motions. And next thing you know, I was a Sacramento State student, and I was in the psych program. Just that accomplishment alone felt incredible. I was so excited. So I came over here, and it was a little different, you know, and I felt comfortable at ARC, but I didn't feel so comfortable here at Sac State. But I came. And what does she mean by that? Well, if you think about the difference between a two- and a four-year institution, uh, two-year institutions are more geared toward folks in the community who are already working and at any age level, whereas attending Sac State, most students come straight out of high school. So it's like part of their trajectory toward their future, uh, which means she may have felt out of place. About halfway through my program, my financial aid ran out. Okay, okay, okay. I, I think it's really important to say that the financial aid ran out because she got four degrees at American River College and the money ran out by the time she got to Sac State. When that happened... I started to panic. I was living in a Section 8 apartment on SSI, getting about $800 a month. And I cared more about school than anything. So I started to hustle. I used that instinct that I had, that I used for drug selling and everything else. Okay, so Tammy started looking for resources on the Sac State campus and discovered Guardian Scholars, which is a program that helps students who are former foster youth. And I was like, that's me. I, I, I was in foster care from 12 to 18. How do I get in there? So I contacted them and they kind of hooked me up with some resources that helped with school books and um, little scholarships. And the name Project Rebound came up. And at that time, it was just a, a little office that had nothing. There were no people working there. They just had some licorice and some coffee and so I don't know what Project Rebound is. Can you tell us? Okay, okay. So Project Rebound was essentially created to assist formerly incarcerated individuals who are trying to succeed in colleges and universities. Uh, the program is actually now active at 15 campuses within the CSU system, including Sac State. Um, but actually, why don't you just hear it straight, straight from Aaron Green? My name is Aaron Green, and I am the program director for California State University Sacramento's Project Rebound. 
First and foremost, I'm also a Project Rebound student graduate. Uh, Project Rebound was started in 1967 by the late Dr. John Irwin. He had been put in prison for a felony armed robbery of a gas station. And when that situation put him in prison, he said he didn't want to go back. So the only thing that he could do to change was to get that, you know, degree and became a world-renowned writer on formerly incarcerated people and the situation that felons live through. And he started it at San Francisco State University in a broom closet, somewhat like what we had here, just a little licorice on a table and some coffee. It was just that space that made the biggest difference. The process of it was to send out communications to other individuals that are incarcerated to let them know that change is possible through education. And in a few years since Project Rebound was established at Sac State, over 546 students have graduated with either a bachelor's or a master's degree. So I called them and I was able to talk to somebody and then I was like, wait a minute, do you guys help like students that are on campus? And she was like, yeah, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> the program was just in its infancy, I guess, here on campus. But within a short time, somehow I got intertwined with all of the people there and they hooked me up with other resources. And um, I don't know, I just, I don't even to this day, looking back, I can't tell you how I did it, but I hustled. Tammy earned multiple scholarships that she found through the Project Rebound program. And I graduated just shy of honors with a 3.4 GPA. <laughs> but when she graduated, Tammy started to panic because school has been, it's, it's been my drug of choice since getting out of prison. So I instantly applied for some master's programs. One of them was the social work program and I was denied because of my criminal record. Wow. I know. Here again, Aaron Green. Um, through multiple different studies, we've noticed that Recidivism reduces with the amount of education an individual has. All right, help me out again. What is recidivism? Okay, so recidivism is the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend. So basically, we track the rate of formerly incarcerated people who have left the prison system only to end up back there at some point in the future. So we know that education actually is the greatest equalizer. It's something that nobody can take away from you. When you learn, when you educate yourself, you start to step away from that mentality that you were stuck in for the longest period of time and the fear that you would never be able to find employment, that you weren't able to gain what everybody's supposed to get through normal services or normal activities. The strain theory specifically states that an individual will turn to committing crimes to get what the American dream is in any way necessary because they don't have the function to get it any other way. We have a uh, 0% recidivism rate. Okay, so this is actually remarkable. The state average is nearly 50%, meaning half of formerly incarcerated people will return to prison. And that number jumps to 76% when we get into the Central Valley. And yet, Project Rebound students are basically at zero. Incredible. So the drastic drop in individuals going to prison once they've been educated is one of the main reasons to start this process. 
Tammy has said something that really caught, right? Like, I believe it's called the um, imposter syndrome. How did I get here? You know, and a lot of our students see that. Other issues that, you know, uh, Tammy had talked about was the fact that she had no education prior to her incarceration, in essence. And that's something that we see 80% of the individuals who are incarcerated have less than a 12th degree education. So that whole issue of, you know, where does education play a role, not just on campuses, but in the community, in our schools, in our prisons, what does it look like? So that's really concerning that all of these convicts are going into the prison system with no education. And, you know, where does that leave them? Well, yeah, but then with the access that they have inside, I mean, that's the whole point of this story, right? The power of education and how it can disrupt generational incarceration for, you know, a ton of people. There's nothing better than an education to pull you away from ignorant thinking. Because once you actually have the ability to process thought, you change how you think. But okay, so back to my school stuff. At that time, I was going through the process of applying for a pardon through, the, through Governor Brown. So the DA's office let Tammy know that there had been only two pardons granted for situations like hers. And they both had over 50 letters of recommendation. But of course, in that Tammy way, instead of giving up, she set out to collect her letters one by one. And what I did is I created this list of 30 facts about myself, you know, my education and my background as a small child. And so I asked every single person I came in contact with. I asked professors. I asked the president of Sacramento State. I said, you know what? I'm just going to send one to him too. I'm just going to ask him what could it hurt. And I did. And I got this random email. Okay. So uh, the president of Sac State's name is Dr. Robert Nelson, and uh, he sends out communication to campus members all the time. So Tammy used an email address from a formal communication that came out of the president's office, um, but it never reached him. Uh, but it was picked up by his chief of staff. And she said, that email isn't manned. Try this one. And it went to him. They called me into their office. And of course, he was crying. I was crying. <laughs> he is, he's been like a dad to me on this campus. And um, they wrote me this beautiful letter of recommendation. And she even came to my pardon hearing to support me. I think the point is this. Sac State creates a culture that often extends beyond the classroom and campus environment. And this allows students like Tammy to believe both in themselves and the power of the community um, that supports them. Yeah, and that's actually really touching, but did it make a difference? I got a full and unconditional pardon from Jerry Brown in Christmas 2018 but I knew my journey wasn't over. So I applied for the master's in child and adolescent development here and I got in. <laughs> I mean, this level of success is a testament, not just to Tammy's commitment to her own education, but I mean, like 
she wouldn't stop because it felt like perhaps she would betray all those folks who supported her all this time. It, it almost feels like she owes it to everyone to keep going and never quit. And she's worked really hard to finish up. I should be done this semester. I'm not dragging my feet on purpose to stay. <laughs> but Sacramento State is my home. God, I love this place. I walk on this campus and I'm just like, oh, I'm home. Yeah, this is such a great story. How have I not heard of this program before? I know, me either. I'm blown away by it. It's not being pushed. This isn't something that everybody wants. You know, the thought process of letting somebody get a free education. Do you know how many times I've been into an institution where I was going in to teach or going in to bring in the information about Project Rebound, and I've heard a CO ask me, well, if I kill somebody, do I get a free education? <laughs> I remember being told, you know, let's just keep it quiet because they didn't want people to know, the regular general public, the parents, to know that we were on campus. Oh, my God, our kids are going to, you know, to a school where there's felons. You know, it's, a, it's supposed to be scary. It's a bad thing. But they don't understand that we're not our crimes. We're people that have made poor choices and have the ability to change. For me, the stigma was great. Like, at, at American River College, I didn't want anybody to know that I was a criminal. I didn't want anybody to know anything about me. I was so embarrassed of... Um, my past, I was embarrassed of everything. I was embarrassed of the fact that I taught myself to read. I, I, I was shamed by it. And I can completely understand parents having some fear about, oh my gosh, we're gonna send our kids to school with these criminals, right? I mean, I think that I kind of flourished once I did open up and I met the people at Project Rebound and they helped me kind of embrace who I am and. The fact that it's it's incredible that I've I've made it through some of this stuff. It's not really as shameful as as I took it. So you said a free education, and I just want to be clear about that. So, um, I mean, the students are not like tuition is being paid, right? Right. There's not there's no waived tuition for any student for any given circumstance. Not at all. But uh, where is the money coming from? Well, the tuition always comes from FAFSA, federal financial aid. They do qualify for financial aid. They qualify for scholarships. They qualify for loans. Um, and as you said, the misconception that any education has ever been free is completely inaccurate. I deal with financial aid on a constant basis. If a student doesn't have a satisfactory academic progress report, they do not get financial aid. So your payment is maintaining a 2.0 GPA or better. In Project Rebound students, their GPAs on average are 3.4 or better. So most of our students are in honors. And we come, you know, with the same dedication that we put into negative activities, we're now putting into education and it just, it's a totally different life experience. We applaud students who get scholarships. That's a free education. You know, if they get a scholarship for playing football, we applaud that person. If they get a scholarship because, you know, they are an excellent mathematician, we applaud that person. Somebody who's in Project Rebound who has no other choice but to find scholarships, that's wonderful that somebody 
yes, would, would like to pay for the education of somebody turning their life around. And I want to add that not everybody gets FAFSA. If you've got certain felonies, you don't qualify. And without my certificate of rehabilitation, I didn't qualify for a FAFSA. And I ran out of financial aid because a lot of our students actually end up doing that. Um, I was stuck. I didn't know what I was going to do. I did apply for every scholarship I could. If I, if I had to stop school, I was so afraid that was going to be what sent me back to prison because education has completely changed my life. This has been Beyond Jay from Sacramento State, a podcast committed to bringing thoughtful conversation to the Sacramento region. I'm Philip Allstott. I'm Rob Reyes. Thanks for listening.